You may be seated. Robert, would you mind turning up the lights a little bit? Good afternoon, everyone. Let's open with a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we come before you this afternoon to hear your word preached and proclaimed. Lord, I ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have for us and that you would close our ears to any error that I may speak. Lord, as we continue our uh, mini-series on fear, Lord, I ask that you would teach us what it means to be courageous and what the meaning of fear is. Why do we fear? Why do we fear men? Why do we fear women? Why do we fear what people think about us? How do we get past this fear? Lord, I pray that you would <clears throat> just open our hearts to this. and uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week uh, we began a little mini-series on this. If you weren't, haven't been with us before, uh, we were uh, doing a series on 1 John. We've concluded that series on 1 John. We're doing a little bit of a mini-series here on fear. Um, I'm also going to ask you all if you want us to talk about uh, any other topics, to just write those topics down or email those topics, send those to Brenda. Uh, we're going to collate some of those topics, and these will just be topical sermons that you all are interested in hearing about. So if there's anything you are interested in me or Mike preaching about, uh, we just want to know some of those. Now we're going to do some lectionary preaching of a series next, um, next uh, summer. We'll also do another, of course, book, and we'll preach what's called Lectio Continua straight through a book. But if you're interested in a topical series, we will do a couple of those as well um, from time to time. Well, Henry Farley, or Fairley, of the Washington Post writes this in the Tulsa World. He states that the fear of risk is killing the American spirit. That's what the title is. He points out that our overreaction to the Three Mile Island and the engine, and the engine on one DC-10, when he talks about it, he believes that the nation that won't build a dam because of a small snail darter or that will delay a carriage to the stars because it might fall like Skylab is in deep trouble. And he asks, was the Mayflower seaworthy? He contends that a group of Americans today would not have the heart to cross the Rockies as our forefathers did years ago. Why? Because it would be too risky. Now there's a lesson here for the church, he says, of our Lord. Many good works go wanting for fear of the risk involved. Some Christians will not become soul winners because of the risk of being hurt. Others will never give liberally to God because of the fear of poverty. Elders refuse to become involved in domestic and world evangelism because they might not succeed. Another, another won't defend truth for the same reason, no doubt. But what the fear of risk has killed many good programs in the church. Now fear, I would submit to you, is in large supply today. We talked about that a little bit last week. We are afraid because of a little virus called COVID. Now, this virus, last I checked, was not the bubonic plague. The bubonic plague killed way more people than this virus has. But we're afraid, and it's caused a lot of panic throughout our society, and we, we talked about that for a lot of reasons. 
Governments have taken advantage of it. We had an economic collapse, and that's caused a lot of fear and panic. But there's a lot of turmoil and chaos around the world, and that has caused a lot of fear. And so fear is in large supply in our society. But there's also fear for other reasons in our society as well. And one of the things I was thinking about this reason, why is there so much fear in our culture? And I think that one of the reasons that we have so much fear in our culture is that we live in an indulgent society. We live in a very affluent society. What do I mean by that? Well, even the poor in our society have iPhones. Even the poor in our society are better off than the poor in any other society. In fact, the poor in our society are better off than many of the middle class in other societies. Right? So we have an indulgent, we have an affluent society. It doesn't mean that we never have hardship, but generally, compared to the history of the world, our culture doesn't know hardship at a level that people throughout history have known. That throughout history, that people often didn't make it past their 40s. Did you know that? You see, throughout history, we were subject to the whims of nature. If we had a drought, we often starved to death. If the herds didn't come through, we could starve to death. If we got a little cut on our finger we could get an infection and die because there were no antibiotics. There was an Indian tribe that they found, a Native American tribe in the Southwest, that died somewhere in the 30s or 40s, somewhere in that age range, because the, the stone that they used to ground, grind their um, meal would break off and their teeth would be ground down to nothing and they could no longer eat past the age of 30 or 40 or somewhere in that zone and they would starve to death. Hardship was a regular aspect or a regular component of human life and suffering was a regular component. We've kind of taken that out of our human existence. And so we don't really understand that at a level. And so fear has kind of gripped our culture, especially with this new virus that has come around. And one of the largest portions of fear, one of the largest elements of fear that I would submit to you that most of us struggle with as a result of not having to deal with all of these other things is the fear of what other people will think of us. Think about that. How many of you are afraid of what other people will think of you? And that has become one of the greatest fears that most of us will face. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Psalm 27 opens this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord, in all caps, remember, is Yahweh. Of whom shall I fear? So Yahweh, or Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it, is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. 
And we looked at last week that this is written by King David. And we learned that King David, in particular, among all people who have ever existed, was a man who knew fear. And he understood fear at a level that very few of us understand fear. And what do I mean by that? Well, David, from the very earliest, and I talked about that last week, was a boy who grew up fighting off lions and bears, which, of course, we all grew up fighting off lions and bears when we were little, right? That's just something we all did. He fought off lions and bears to protect his sheep. He fought off Goliath, a Philistine warrior, when he was a young man. And then he fought off all kinds of of warriors. Uh, He had a king that tried to impale him with spears many times. He uh, had to hide in enemy territory and pretend he was like a mad, or he pretended he was like them. And if if they found out, they were going to kill him. He fought off his own sons. He had a baby die, and so he had the fear of watching a child die and and trying to have that child survive. He had his own son try to kill him. He went into civil war. He Anyway, his entire life was lived in war or combat or with people dying. He was someone who should have known fear all the time, and yet he writes this psalm. Somehow, David grows up with this ability to trust in the Lord and to overcome fear. He learned in his lifetime to somehow overcome this fear. Right? That's what happens. Now, the guy who tried to pin him to the wall was someone who was really worried about what people thought of him. David, on the other hand, didn't seem to care. David was concerned only about what the Lord thought about him, didn't seem to fear what humans thought about him at all. Saul, who David served and who David watched day in and day out was absolutely paranoid about what other human beings thought about him to the point where he went insane insanely paranoid now this fear of people or what we call in Christianity the fear of man is a particular sin that is quite common to many of us how many of you struggle from the fear of man. Now, when I say fear of man, I mean humanity. How many of you struggle from the fear of people? So the fear of man is basically when we as believers are more afraid of a person than God, or when we let our fear of an individual get in the way of a calling that God has placed upon our life. How many of you have done that? How many of you are more afraid or have been more afraid of a particular person than you were of God, or you have let a particular person get in the way of God's calling because you were more afraid of what they were doing or what they thought than what God thought. Think back. Think back on your life. Think back on what happened. Now, Fear of man. In most cases, and the upstairs is mic'd if you need it, Eric. You can tell him about that. Um, In most cases, fear of man breaks off into this. Uh, And and we kind of see it simply, and this isn't sinful, but we see it in fear of speaking, right? Um, Fear of, of crowds, right? 
fear of like raising your hand in class. Like I was in college and I raised my hand and I looked around, there was like 90 people and I had to talk and there were like 90 people all around me. And I, and I had to like present my opinion. That was like really terrifying to me. And my daughter's talking to me about that in seminary. All of a sudden she has to raise her hand and like all these other seminarians are like looking at her. What does she have to say, right? These kinds of things. We have this fear of that. And why do we fear these things? Why do you fear if like I was to call you up, like everyone thinks this is simple and I just like grew up. I was just talking to my daughter about this. She's like, did I just grow up speaking at a podium in front of people? Like, was this just a natural skill that I was born with? Was Wayne just like born with the ability to play music in front of people and now he just naturally does this? It didn't come to us naturally. We didn't naturally learn how to do this. We had to overcome this fear, right? We, we, we have to do what the Lord called us to do. But what are we afraid of when we come up here, right? Are we afraid our clothes may fall off and we'll be naked in front of everybody? We're afraid we're going to say something stupid, right? Eventually, and we are, if I speak long enough, eventually I'm going to misspeak and say something stupid. Or you're going to half listen and hear me say something dumb, or I'm just going to say the wrong, whatever. It's just going to happen. But we're afraid of what other people are going to think of us. That's fear of man. Now, fear of man becomes sinful when I am so worried about what you think that I will not, that I will stop doing what the Lord has called me to do. Right? I'm so paranoid that I will stop doing what the Lord has called me to do. That's when it becomes sinful. I'm scared. I'm terrified. We fear being ashamed. We fear getting a bad grade. We fear being fired. Now, our fear of man can cause us to fall into sin in a lot of ways. Why? How? Well, when I'm here on earth and I'm around a lot of people, I can really be concerned about what people are doing here and forget about what the Lord's doing up there. Why? Because he's up there. I don't need to think about him. He's out there. I'm down here. Down here doesn't matter. I mean, down here matters because people see me. Out there doesn't matter because God's out there. It's like when I was a teenager, right? And, and, And I went to a party or I went to a function and, and my parents told me not to do X, Y, or Z, but my friends are all doing it and say, come on, Jeff, let's do X, Y, or Z. And my parents are on my shoulder right here saying, Jeff, you shouldn't do X, Y, or Z. You were told not to do it. I can do it. I can stay out past my curfew. I can do this or drink that or say this or say that. Who cares? And the temptation is strong because she's cute or he's cute, or they said this, or all that, because my parents are off out there, right? And we get tempted to do it. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to sound bad, and so we do it. Now, what happens when our parents eventually catch us? We get found out. Well, now we have to face the music, because one day we do get caught. Now, if our parents are wise, 
they make the punishment so bad that we won't do this thing again. Now, if they're foolish, they just give us a smack on the wrist and we'll go right back to doing it. Now, my parents were great and I faced eternal damnation. And so I never did these things again, right? I'd be grounded for nine weeks. I had a friend who was grounded for the entire summer for what he did. You're darn right he never did that again because his, parents, his friends would tempt him but he did not want to lose his freedom for an entire summer again. Never again did that thing. I had another friend who got the smack on the wrist, and he kept on doing bad thing after bad thing after bad thing and never got his life righted until about 30, 35 years of age. The rest of us learn discipline, right? We think these things about the Lord as well. He's out there. It doesn't matter. He's far away. You see, the problem is that most of us don't understand God's discipline very well. And when we do experience it, we are quick to forget of it. Most of us are so darn comfortable in our lives, and it's too tempting to risk all of this comfort and for the pain. It's too tempting. I don't want that pain that comes with the rejection. I don't want that pain that comes from man for serving God. I don't want to give it up. I love my men. I love my women. I love the accolades. I love what comes from social media. I love when my friends accept me on YouTube or Facebook, or Instagram, or TikTok. I love all of those things. It makes me feel good. I want to live for those likes because that makes me happy. You know, Kelly and I were just at Yosemite Valley, a beautiful uh, park, and, and so I'm used to hiking. I don't know who else here is a hiker. Uh, when we hike, I was talking to Nathan about this, Rob, we're used to hiking, and we go on a 10-hour hike or a two-day hike or whatever, and you hike towards this goal, and at the end of the goal, you stand on the edge of a, a precipice or you're in a valley or wherever, and you see this gorgeous scenery, and you have worked hard to earn this scenery. Well, in Yosemite Valley, you don't have to work hard for most of the scenery. You can just drive and the scenery's right there. It seems like cheating, right? So we get to this one point of the valley where you can come up and you can take this scenic photograph and there's like the whole valley before you. Now, settlers have had to like fight through like Native Americans shooting them and, and all kinds of, you know, snakes and, and, and mountain passes and, you know, eating off their arms to just survive and doing all this stuff to get here, right? But now all we have to do is drive to see this. And so Kelly and I have done this really awesome hike that we had to do this. I had like an injured tendon. And I had to drag my foot and do all this other stuff to do all these hikes. And we finally drive up at the end of the day just to see this one spot. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is kind of, I wish, okay, whatever. It's awesome. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm taking this in, but I'm having a really hard time taking this thing in because all these people are getting out with their stupid cameras and going, hey, click, click, click. And they're like getting the perfect photos where they're just like brushing their hair in the right angle and doing whatever. None of them are sitting taking in the scenery. Every single one of them is taking the photo, jumping in the car and jumping out. Can't take in God's creation. We're in an Instagram society. Why? Because they want 
people to think a certain thing about them. We live for other people. That is what's important to them. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are two of the very few people in all of Scripture who experience firsthand the stark consequences of disobedience to God, and they're the only ones who experience it at this level. Now, they don't give in to peer pressure to be cool. That's not what they're doing. They give in because of a lust for power and possibly a few other reasons. Scholars debate different things. But no matter what, there are no noble reasons here. Uh, Occasionally I'll hear that from people, but there's no real noble reasons here. They give in and for sinful reasons, and they plunge all of humanity into just awful things. Any awful thing that's happened came from this sin. So don't wax poetic about it. It was awful, right? And they give in because of this, right? Now, whatever fruit, or let's be honest, what was the fruit? You've all learned it. Exactly. It was Brussels sprouts. They ate a Brussels sprout. Those things look good, don't they? But they are hideous. Do not eat them, children. Okay, Brussels sprouts lead to nothing but evil. So, no, no matter what, okay, so they rebel against God. They eat a Brussels sprout. And notice what the result is. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So notice here what happens. They eat the Brussels sprout. And the consequence of eating the Brussels sprout is not expelling the Brussels sprout like we all should, but no, it is shame immediately right? It's shame because of the sin, right? It should now be shame because you make me, and you serve him sometimes, but it is shame. That's my wife, sorry. Now, it is shame, right? Because they've sinned. And then they realize that they've been lied to. You see, Satan wraps this sin up in a lie, and he says, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And they have become like God, knowing good from good from evil. But they are also now like Satan, realizing that they are not like God. They have not become God. They have become like Satan now, and realizing that they are not God, because he too tried to become like God. They have now become exposed, and they realize that they too are weak and ungodlike, and now they are are terrified before a holy God. So just like us in our fear of man, when we expose ourselves and when we live in fear of man or humanity or governments or whatever else, at the time it seems good to us, it seems beautiful to the eyes like those Brussels sprouts, but we eat them and it seems great, but when the Lord comes again that second time, We will see the true power of the Lord and we will realize our weakness and our shame. Why? Because He is God. He spoke and the very planet that we stand on right now is. And not just this planet. The sun 
in the solar system, which this planet spins around, and with one solar flare could extinguish said planet, and this sun is just one of a bajillion other suns, and not a very big sun compared to those suns, and those suns could burp and wipe out this sun. We're very small, even the biggest army. And this God spoke, and it all was. You see, David understands this, and this is why he's not afraid. Saul doesn't understand that, and that's why he's paranoid of men. Of whom are you afraid? Who are you scared of? Why are you living for Facebook? Why are you living for Instagram? Why are you living for TikTok? Why are you living for cars and keeping up with the Joneses? Why are you letting your friends get in the way of serving a holy God? So this week, my challenge to you is simply this. Reorient yourself with the Lord. If you pray this week and find yourself afraid of man and woman and the consequences of what's happening, if you're afraid of what's going on in society, of government, of what's happening with your employers, of people pressuring you, of schools pressuring you to bend the knee to the latest fad in our government or in school or at work or on social media or wherever. Give it to the Holy Spirit and give it to Jesus. Help Him remind or ask Him to remind you of His power, where your source of strength comes from. Rely on Him. Reorient yourself and then go out into the world and make a difference for Him. Become like David not like King Saul. Amen?